your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one. You can stay seated. We'll be coming and going from several uh, passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the subject of faith, and, uh, and we're going to talk about how faith is an action. Everyone said faith is an action, and faith ought to be in action. In other words, uh, faith has to be a verb in our life. I was thinking uh, the other day about how we understand some words we just know when we hear them that it's a verb. For example, when I say exercise, <laughs> we kind of know immediately that that's, that's something that is automatically a verb. If you're exercising, then, then you're doing something. It's an action. I, I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to get this... Uh, uh, trying to get this heart healthy and all that kind of thing. And so I've been running. And, uh, and when, when you're exercising, you can't be still. And you just can't. It's just not the way it works. And faith is one of those things that has to be active in our life. And the uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the, uh, the hall of faith or the heroes of the faith. And we're going to kind of come and go from that a little bit today. And... We'll begin with verse 1. Could we just read verse 1 together? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. How many want to please God today? But without, so here's uh, what Paul said in verse 6. So here's how to please God. Without faith it is... Impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And so before you can do anything when it comes to your relationship with God, before you can be obedient to anything that God calls you to do, it's vital that you believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How many believe that today? And so I want to look at some things. Uh, I want to look at several ways that that faith ought to be in action in our life, several ways that it ought to manifest itself, we might say. And uh, because if faith is just dormant, if it's just something we talk about, if it's just a talking point, if it's just a platitude, a preaching point, uh, then it's not going to be effective. It's not going to change our lives. It's certainly not going to impact people around us. But our faith ought to impact people around us. How many believe that your faith ought to make a difference, not just in your life, but in the lives of people that you love and that you come into contact with? And so here's a little saying that I came across a while ago. I like it. It says, let people see your faith through your actions, not your actions through your faith. And I believe that's important. People need to see uh, our faith active in our life. Uh, it's not enough for us just to talk about it and try to convince people of it, but we ought to show people our faith. How many agree with that today? All right, so number one, the first thing that I'd like us to look at is that faith in action is believing even when we don't see it. Believing 
when we don't see it. That's what Hebrews was talking about in verse 1 there, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, that's a fascinating way for Paul to talk about faith. And, uh, and sometimes I think we're guilty of wanting our faith uh, to be uh, something that we can see and touch and feel. We want faith to always be attached to something that we can grab a hold of. But sometimes we have to have faith in things that we have not yet seen. How many have ever seen heaven today? I've never seen heaven, but I believe in heaven. I'm, I, I, I'm looking forward to the hope of glory. And, uh, and I'm excited about what God has for me. But I have faith in that. I believe in that. I, I hope for that. And yet, and in fact, by the way, what Paul was talking about when he says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and it's the evidence of things not seen, the very fact that there are millions and millions of people who believe and have faith in heaven is evidence that heaven is real. The fact that you and I have faith is evidence. It's something that people can look to and say, well, they believe that. They believe it with all their heart, even though we haven't seen it. What Abraham was looking for a city. He had faith in something that he had not seen. He had faith in something that he had not experienced. And from the beginning of time, faith in things that you have not yet experienced or seen has been vital uh, to the hearts and lives of individuals. Noah, I think, is one of the first examples of someone who God spoke to. And God said, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be rain. You need to get to work. You need to build this ark. And, uh, and yet Noah had not seen rain. He'd certainly never seen a flood. He hadn't seen the judgment of God. He had to trust God and believe that something was going to happen that he had never experienced. How many have ever had to trust in something that you've never experienced before? You know, uh, I, I uh, not too long ago had an opportunity to do, I probably shouldn't tell this, but do a, a, like a skydiving kind of a thing. And, uh, and I had never done it before. And I had never, I'd never worn the harness. They put you in a harness and then they kind of drop you. And, uh, and, and I had to have faith that that harness was going to hold me. And that took a whole lot of faith for me, by the way. And when I went, and they don't, they don't push you out. I thought, well, why don't you just kind of shove me out? No, they expect you to take the step and drop off the edge. Some of you are looking at me like I'm the craziest person that ever lived. And well, that took a, my, my own mother's looking at me that way. But that took faith for me. I was trusting that that was going to hold me. When it comes to spiritual things, sometimes you have to be willing to say, I know I haven't experienced this. I've never been through this particular trial. But I believe that, first of all, I believe that God is. I believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I believe that he's going to take care of me through every situation that life brings. And furthermore, I trust that his word is true. I often have people say, well, Brother Ryan, and uh, this isn't in my notes. I'm just being extemporaneous here. But he say, but Ryan, surely you don't believe that every word in the Bible is true. Uh, surely, you know, I know that some of it's good. I, I know there's some good philosophy in there. There's some good history in there. You know, even non-religious people look to the Bible as a, a history book, uh, a book of poetry. Uh, there's a lot of things that people look to respectfully towards the Bible, but they don't view it as God's word. And, and they say, surely you don't believe. How, how could every word? I mean, there's translators. There's all of these things. And, and I understand the history of the Bible. And I look at it and I say, well, if I believe in a God that could create you and I, 
If I believe in a God who could speak the worlds into existence, if I believe in a God who made everybody different, everybody unique, I believe in a God who has the stars in his hand, then I believe in a God who could preserve his word if that's what he wanted to do. If God wants to preserve, who's to say that God cannot preserve his word? I believe that he's able to, and I believe that he certainly did. And so I believe that the word of God, I have faith in God's word, and it does take faith because without God's word, you're going to have a difficult time making it through the trials of life because it's God's word that strengthens us. It's also God's word that corrects us, by the way, and it's how God has chosen to communicate with his people. And so the Bible is full of individuals who had to trust in things that they could not see. Uh, Joshua had to trust God. Moses had to trust God when he, when he went and stood before Pharaoh. What a, an intimidating thing that must have been for him. He had, uh, when he left Egypt the first time, uh, he was basically running from the law. He was, he was fleeing for his life. He had committed murder. He'd killed an Egyptian. And, uh, and so when he left Egypt, he left there in a hurry. And God said, I want you to go to the very place that you were running in fear from. I want you to go to the very place that you've been avoiding all of these years in the wilderness, tending sheep. I want you to go back. And not only do I want you to go back to Egypt, I want you to stand in front of the very person who wants you dead. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you, not only that, if that's not crazy, I'm sure by now Moses is scratching his head, Lord, this is getting a little crazy. God said, no, even beyond that, I want you to tell him to let all of my people go. Now, we've heard that from the time we were kids and in Sunday school. We've heard it our whole lives. And sometimes the weight and the gravity of the situation no longer impacts us. But I, can I tell you, Moses was in an intimidating and scary situation. He didn't know how it was going to turn out, but he had faith that God was going to protect him during that time. And it's important that we have faith even when we can't see. Let me look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We'll go back there and we'll pick up with verse 7. I hope that you can see this okay. If not, you can grab your Bible. But let's look. Here, here uh, Paul's talking about Noah again. He says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died. I want us to read verse 13 together. These all died in faith. Now I want you to catch this. Not having received the promises. Now it's amazing to me that the Apostle Paul 
This isn't what you would think of as the message that's going to get people to the altar. This, this isn't the sermon that's going to fill up the offering plate. This, this isn't the sermon that's going to get people clapping and shouting, Oh, preacher, preach that to me again about how they all died not having received the promise. He wasn't going to get invited back to preach that sermon, was he? No, no, because, because a true preacher and a true man of God always preaches the truth and not just what causes people to be comfortable in a moment. And so Paul was saying, I want you to notice here, all of these men, they were faithful men. These were faithful women. These were righteous men. These were good people. And they died and they had not received the promises that they had believed their entire life for. Some of you are looking at me real funny right now. <laughs> but having seen them afar off, in other words, they, they hadn't experienced it. It hadn't come completely to fruition in their life. But they saw with the eyes of faith in the distance, they saw that the hand of God was moving and working all things together. And they were persuaded of them. In other words, they believed in spite of the fact that they didn't see the entirety of the promise come to pass in their life. They looked into the future and they looked with the eyes of faith and they were persuaded and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Wow. These were men and women of faith who believed in things that even though they didn't entirely see it, Abraham didn't live to see his family become as innumerable as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, did he? No, he never saw that in his lifetime. But we know today, just looking back in history, we know that in, indeed God was faithful and God did fulfill that promise. How many are thankful that you can look back? One of the, to me, one of the most amazing things about the Word of God or the Bible is the fact that hundreds and hundreds and thousands of promises. And I don't just mean vague promises where it said this over there and you can attach something to it like maybe a Nostradamus or something like that. But I mean very precise. Well, I wish someone would just go ahead and agree with me this morning. Very precise and specific promises came to pass. Just Jesus himself was a precise fulfillment of old countless Old Testament promises. The fact that he lived and he died the way that he did was a very precise fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so we see that Abraham, he was persuaded and he believed in the promises of God even though he did not live to see it come completely to pass in his lifetime. I wonder if there's anybody today that could just raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know sometimes it's hard, but I am committed to having faith even when I can't see it with my own eyes. I may not can see it, but I have faith that God's doing it. Okay, let's look at a, at a great example of someone who struggled to have faith because he could not see. Let's go to John chapter 20 and verse number 24. And we're going to look at, at what he's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. Uh, you know, it's an honor to make it in the Bible, but how would you like your legacy to be that you were the Doubting Thomas, you know? And uh, actually, Thomas was probably a good, a good man. He's probably a whole lot like you and I. And, uh, and sometimes we're hard on him. But let's look at what happened. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, he was one of, he was one of the inner circle, one of the close disciples of Jesus. And I think that's very important to note. Did you know that you can be very close to Jesus and still struggle to have faith? There's a misconception that I think sometimes we we'll beat ourselves up and, and, and we get ourselves in trouble because, you know, we're, we're doing everything that we can to be close to Jesus. Some of us 
uh, dropped our nets and we left some things behind and we followed Jesus when he said, follow me. And yet, even still, we've been through all of these things. We've seen him heal the the lame. We've seen him feed the 5,000. We've seen him be faithful time and time again. And yet there was a moment and Thomas, he watched Jesus die. He knew that he was dead. He he, he, he was struggling to have faith. They, the, the disciples still hadn't fully grasped that Jesus came to die. They were still hoping that Jesus had come to set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government, and he was going to be a, a political hero. See, they were still looking for a political hero, and Jesus said, I didn't come to be a political hero. I came to be the savior of your soul. I came to save, and not just your soul, but your children and your children's children. My kingdom is not of this world. Time and time again, he tried to explain to them that he wasn't there to overthrow governments. And, and even the Pharisees, they were, they, the whole reason, they, they thought that their little religious system was going to be overthrown. They had a good thing going. The money was flowing. They had prestige and respect and TV programs and nice cars. And you know what I mean. They had all the good stuff and people liked them and thought well of them. And Jesus was upsetting the political balance of their day. And they hated him for it. They really did. And the disciples were struggling to find their place in all of this. Why, why is this happening the way it's happening? Why, why would he take us this far just to die on a cross like a common thief? Struggling to understand. You and I, if we're honest with ourselves, if we had been there in that moment, we would have been struggling too. And so Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Remember, Jesus appeared after his death several times. And Thomas had missed those moments. Be careful. You miss a lot of things when you're not around the people of God. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, they testified to him, we have seen the Lord. They were having a testimony service. But he said to them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. After he started hearing those things, he he decided to start coming to church again, didn't he? He said, I heard that the Lord's been showing up. I better get back to church. I was was missing out, so I I best, best get back over there with them. And so then came Jesus. You know, when you get together with God's people, the Lord's going to show up. I promise you that. And the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. Now, I think this is interesting because Jesus already knew. He 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 had seen these conversations and he knew without even having to have a conversation that Thomas was struggling with faith. That he was indeed the resurrected Savior. And so he said immediately that he didn't have to go into a long sermon. And I think it's interesting that Jesus dealt compassionately with Thomas. Sometimes we as Christians, we get harsh with people when they're struggling with their faith. We don't need to be harsh with people. We need to say, hey, just go ahead and touch Jesus one more time. We, we don't need to beat him up. We don't need to hate on him. We don't need to gossip about him. We need to just help them to touch Jesus. We need to get him to where, oh, I wish someone would preach with me for just a minute. We need to get them in the presence of Jesus and let them feel Jesus and love them. Because when you touch Jesus, it's going to change you. And it will increase your faith. You say, but preacher, I, I, I can't, it's, I'm struggling. Listen, if you'll touch Jesus, 
And so Jesus said, he didn't rebuke him. He said, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. What did Jesus do? Jesus had compassion on him and helped him to achieve what he needed to achieve to have faith. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Hmm. By the way, there's a distinction there. A lot of people want Jesus to be their God, but not the Lord of their life. Jesus wants to be both. Verse 29, and Jesus, now here's what I want us to notice. Let's read this together. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But here's what Jesus said. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Someone said, that's me. How many believe in Jesus today? How many have ever seen his physical presence? No, you haven't. So blessed are you. That's a promise that Jesus gave to you. All right. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to, uh, it's going to bother you some at first, and I probably don't have time to jump into this. But we're talking about faith. Everyone said faith. The rest of us said faith. All right. Talking about faith. And uh, I recently read a, a really good article by uh, uh, a preacher by the name of Cole Neesmith. And, and I wrote about it in my blog, and it got a lot of attention. And it surprised me that it did. But he titled his article, and he said, Faith is absurd. He said, Faith is absurd. And uh, at first, you think it's negative. But then when you read through it, it began to make sense. Neesmith was basically trying to remind Christians and, and anyone who has any kind of faith that faith is absurd to those who are not believers. It really is. And, and for a working definition of the word absurd, it's just something that's inconsistent with reason or logic or what we might sometimes call common sense. By the way, a lot of things have been considered common sense throughout the annals of history that when you look back, uh, it was just crazy. I, I was reading recently about how uh, when in the, back in the times of uh, Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, it was common. They would bleed people. They would do the bloodletting, and they thought they were getting all the toxins out, and sometimes they just killed people. And that was considered common sense of the day. And so common sense just means it's a general consensus that it's the right thing. But how many know that just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing? All right now, about, about 80% of us believe that. But just because most people think it's right. Listen, I've had doctors tell me things where I, and then I had another doctor tell me another thing. And then I had another doctor who probably spent half a million dollars to get his degree. And he told me another thing. And so if you're, now I respect doctors just as much as anybody. But when you're putting your trust in just common sense and reason and logic, you can be in trouble. Because it changes over time. And so Neesmith made an interesting point that faith appears absurd, and in fact, it is absurd. In other words, faith is not rational, scientific, or without questions. 1 Corinthians 2.14, when I read his article, it immediately jumped in my mind. It's not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, but it immediately came to my mind uh, while reading his article, and it says this. But the natural man, someone said the physical, 
That's, that's me, the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit. Someone said that's spiritual, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's, an, that's a powerful thought. And so spiritual things always seem irrational when viewed through the prism of carnality. And so when you're trying to view spiritual things through the prism of carnality, it's always going to seem strange, absurd, and foolish. And I'm, I'm aware of the temptation to try and boil spiritual things down into logic or sound reasoning. I, I do that all the time as a preacher. I'm always trying to take complicated spiritual concepts and boil them down to bite-sized chunks that we can all get a hold of and apply to our lives. Everybody's still with me? And I do that because I love you and I want you to get... But there's some things in the Word of God that you can't just boil down to a a six-second vine-type comment that people will grasp in a moment. There are some things that are powerful, deep, spiritual truths that you're not just going to get in a little Twitter post. Sometimes you're going to have to delve into the Word of God and you're going to have to pray a little bit and you're going to have to faith it a little bit and you're going to have to discern some things through the eyes of the Spirit and you're going to have have to pray and say, Lord, help me. And you can't do that when you're in full-blown carnality. All right. And so I understand the, the danger of doing that. And we all do that if we're not careful. But when Jesus, but there are some things that, that just don't make good common sense. Like, for example, when Jesus looks at the woman who had just been caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, she was caught red-handed, and Jesus looks at her and says, I want you to go and sin no more. That doesn't sound like modern preaching, does it? But it can be done. It sounds impossible without the Spirit guiding our thinking. When you're terminally sick and God tells you to go and dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times, that sounds a little crazy and foolish, doesn't it? And what would have happened if Naaman would have said, listen, prophet, that sounds ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look silly. I'm I'm just not going to do it. But no, he humbled himself, even though he couldn't fully see it. He couldn't fully comprehend it. And he said, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. And so faith, everyone said faith, which is the foundation of the Christian life. And some of you are going to have a hard time agreeing with me on this, but faith is not rational. Hebrews chapter 11 says, I'm going to read it again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's not rational. To believe in something that you have never seen is absurd when you're looking in from the outside. Look at that third verse again of Hebrews chapter 11. Through faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So my belief that God spoke the world into existence and breathed the breath of life into mankind is not intended to be a scientific endeavor or to fit neatly into a logical box. It's an act of faith. Everybody still with me? And I would contend that much of what we label as science today is in reality a belief system that also requires faith. And I simply choose to put my faith in God rather than man-made theories. But now I want to make this caveat. By no means am I saying that everything about the Christian faith is illogical. Morality makes sense when you view it 
Objectively, many things about our world only make sense when we understand God's ultimate plan. There are many, many things about the Word of God that are logical and rational that make perfect sense. The value of life itself only makes sense when viewed through the lens of a divine creator. Don't tell me that we came from some big explosion and that life somehow has meaning. The meaning and purpose and value of life only makes sense when you realize that we were created by a holy God who loves us and has a plan for our life. It takes a divine creator to attach value to the human life. It's because we were divinely created by God who breathed, personally breathed the breath of life into us that we have more value than animals that walk around on four legs. Okay, nobody's going to teach with me today. (laughs) And so many things, even love. Someone said love. Even love is not logical without a belief in God. Uh, I think there is a danger in trying to rationalize too much about God and faith. There's a freedom that can only be found when we embrace the reality that there are some things that we'll never understand till we meet the Lord. Think about love. Love isn't something that you can quantify. It's not something you can qualify. It's not something that you can scientifically explain or put it in a box. And let me tell you, there have been volumes of books written by people with 15 or 20 PhDs trying to explain the power of love, and they cannot do it with the secular mindset. But you and I know that love flows from the throne room of God. It is the very essence and nature of who God is. And so when you love someone, whether you believe in God or not, when you hold that little child in your arms and you feel that overwhelming sense of love, that love comes from God, whether you acknowledge that he exists or not. When you look at that spouse that you've been with for 30 years and you still feel that love, that comes from God himself. Love is a powerful, powerful thing. That's why they write poetry about it and millions of songs and all kinds of sappy Stories have been written about love because love is powerful. And it can only be understood when we realize that God is the essence and nature of love. All right. Moving on to the faith. Someone said faith in action. Faith in action. That's what we're talking about today. Faith is a verb. And so the second thing that we need to, to know about faith is that faith is obeying even when we don't understand it. Now, that's a very close cousin to our first point that when you don't see it. But let me take you to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5. Trust, someone said trust, in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise And here's where a lot of people get messed up, and I include myself in this number sometimes. (laughs) Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. All right, my my wife and I, we went to uh, uh, Sam's Club the other day. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Sam's Club is just like a Walmart on steroids, pretty much. And, uh, and you know, we're trying to be wise. We're trying to, to you know, do things carefully. And, uh, and so conventional wisdom, at least in our mind, is, you know, if you buy 
a, a box of Kleenex as big as this podium right here, even if it's even if it's a hundred dollars, in the end, you're saving millions. You know, we convince ourselves of that. You know, if if I buy the jar of peanut butter that's as big as that grand piano, in the end, I know right now I'm spending three hundred dollars for that, but in the end, we'll save millions of dollars on peanut butter. And so that's wisdom. So we're trying to be. How many know that that sometimes we try to be wise? And we try to have good understanding, but you can't always trust your own thinking. How many know that's true? That's why we need the Word of God to recalibrate us every once in a while. And it's important to have something that, that, is, that, that we can look to and say, okay, I may not understand that. My thinking doesn't quite align with that, but I'm going to trust that because that's God's Word. And so... It's important. I'll give you an example. So we, we did this. We went through Sam's Club, and we made the mistake. You know, we didn't just get a cart. We got one of those flatbed trailers, pretty much, they give you. And it, takes, it took, like, me and the kids and some stranger we'd never met to push that thing around, around Sam's Club. Well, in the end, my kids just sit in it, and I push it. But, but, uh, and so we're pushing that. And the problem is when you get one that big, you know, it just needs more stuff on it to look right. Because, it, you know, you put one little thing on there, it looks lonely. And you think, well, it needs something else with it. And so we're going through and we're buying all of these things and, we, and, and all kinds of things we don't need. And uh, we have one of those Keurig coffee makers. If you don't have the Keurig coffee maker, I'm praying for you that the Lord will help you. And No, I'm just kidding. But we, we have one of those Keurigs. And, uh, and so we we came up to the coffee aisle which was a big mistake we should have avoided that at all costs and never looked back we got up to the coffee aisle and you smell it and immediately you lose all reason and 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 sense and so we get there especially my wife she loves coffee and we and we they have all of these keurig and they had a special on 100 pack <laughs> i couldn't even pick the thing up i had to I had to call someone over to help me take it down off the shelf. And my wife said to me, and don't tell her I told this story. My wife said to me, she said, sweetheart. And she gave me that smile, you know. She said, sweetheart, that one right there, it's Newman's classic house blend. She said, I, I think that's my favorite one that I've had. And that's 100 pound. That's, it's, it shakes out to like 20 cents a thing. It's amazing, and you're going to love it. And uh, I know it's $900 for that, but we'll save so much money. No, not really. It was like 40 or something. And we'll save so much money, and it's the best. I mean, it's good to the last drop. And she had me convinced, and we bought that thing. And we, you know, we were leaning on our own understanding at that point. And we got that thing home, and wouldn't you know it, it was the grossest tasting coffee She said, honey, and she wasn't giving me that sweet smile this time. She said, honey, that's not the coffee I thought it was. Well, we have about 3,000 of them now, so we're going to be drinking that for a long time. So either we're going to be drinking coffee we don't like for several months, or we're going to lose a whole lot of money buying new coffee. See, sometimes we're doing our best, right? Sometimes we're sincere. Sometimes we're really trying hard. Stand with me. I'm, I'm about done. Sometimes we're really trying hard, 
but when we lean to our own understanding. Now, it's one thing when you're going to Sam's, and, but when it comes to spiritual things, we shouldn't go through life that way, should we? No, no, no. We need to lean to the Lord, lean to God's word, trust in God, have faith. Well, I got through one page, so the preacher got in me, and I went way too long. Let's bow our heads and pray that the Lord would increase our faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I thank you for all the grandparents that are here today, all the grandchildren. We honor them right now. God, I thank you for everyone that's here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence that we already feel. I pray that you would increase my faith, increase everyone's faith, Lord. Help us to have faith when we can't see it. Help us to have faith when we don't understand it. And Lord, I pray above all things that we would not lean to our own flawed understanding, but that we would trust completely in you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Someone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.